Welcome back, everybody, to the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast, episode number 97. It's Monday. We're here to begin a brand new week. Dominic, a lot of fights going on this weekend across the board, across different promotions, different aspects of MMA. Eddie, what are your takeaways? What are your thoughts? How are you feeling? How's it going? Okay, I'm starting it off by saying, wow, we are just inching Closer and closer to triple digits, huh? I mean, yeah, and, and let's be clear, triple digits is going to be a big deal. It's a big deal for many reasons. I mean, should we should we should we start with this? Because <laughs> I, I don't know if people are catching on. Let's let's if just we, let them know. We can we start with these, it. We throw these feelers in at the end of the last few episodes. But maybe some uh, people don't listen, you know, yeah, after we're done previewing, you know? Exactly, exactly. And our social medias, we've been teasing it a little bit. Look, guys, we are three episodes away to episode 100. And I'm just telling you right now, you do not want to miss episode 100 on YouTube. Can't miss. (laughs) So subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple, go to the YouTube channel and subscribe to us. You want to be following us on all platforms. Everywhere. Everywhere we can be found, the Joes, you're going to want to find us. Because we're about to flip the game on its head. Yeah, they're not ready. The game's not ready. <laughs> but I just want to throw that out there because I don't know if enough people are really catching on that this is happening, but it's happening. <laughs> it's creeping up. But yeah. So any other any other thoughts, Dom? What's going on with you? How are you feeling? Well, what was I at? Eighty two percent moved in when we were on Friday. Um, and I was at and I was at twenty five. I think I said. So let me look around. I got a couple more. Uh, decorations in the studio here. Pretty cool. You'll actually get to see it this coming weekend, which is exciting. Nice. So awesome. my goal to, is to be 100% done by the time you step into my house Saturday for UFC 262. Oh, that's the goal. I feel I feel honored. I yes. feel like that's intentional. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I just want you to know that your co-host has his shit together. That's all. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. Um, did you happen to check out uh, the boxing fight that happened Saturday. I did not, but I do know that Canelo Alvarez won via TKO in the eighth round? Yeah, I think it was three. Well, I don't know if it was before the round started, maybe. Um, I know Saunders has a bunch of orbital bone problems going into surgery you, and all that I mean, stuff. In case you guys can't tell, um, we don't really talk about boxing too much on this podcast, and uh, we don't claim to watch it that much because, you know, that's a lot of money at the end of the day that's going to pile up. So uh, there was a big boxing fight, though, between Canelo um, Alvarez and Billy Joe Saunders. And, yeah, man, his eye looked busted. Apparently that happened right at the end of the fight, too. Yeah. You know, I guess the fight was really close, uh, pretty much back and forth, tip for tap for the greater part of seven rounds. Round eight, Canelo came out in a big way. And I guess he hit some good shots that eye, and it just swelled up immediately. Ringside position wouldn't let him go back out, I think. Yeah, I saw that big, uh, brutal uppercut, too. That really cool picture that was shot. Yeah. Those cool, iconic MMA boxing pictures are always neat when they're just right at the perfect moment. Like the Masvidal and Usman punch, you know? Yep, yep, exactly. I I will say, though, they they put the scorecards out there for after the fight. I'd be curious if anybody here is big, anybody listening, big boxing fans, or maybe checked out the fight. What they thought of the scorecards? I think it was. I'm gonna mess this up. I think it was 118 to 114, and then 117 to 115 on the other two judges' scorecards. 
a lot of people online were telling me the fight was dead even basically after that round, basically 4-4. So I'd be curious to see if anybody else thought maybe uh, that the scorecards were a little too uh, biased or whatnot. Yeah, I saw some that were even or like 5-3 Canelo. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I don't know why I just said that that was the score. There was only seven rounds done in that fight, so it wouldn't be in the hundreds, but whatever. You got my point. <laughs> we're, we're I was the told, MMA podcast. <laughs> I was told it was dead even by a lot of people on Twitter, but yet... The scorecards had it clearly in favor for Alvarez. So I'd be curious if anybody, what anybody thinks of that. Because, let's be honest, Dom, we're not here to shit on boxing because we love the history of it. We respect it, the art form and everything. But one of the biggest reasons why I think we're so resistant to even getting too involved in it is because a lot of these, a lot of these decisions are just shit in boxing. The judges' scorecards are usually shit in boxing. Especially these high-profile fights. You see these fights that are clearly one way or maybe really close. And all of a sudden, the guy who was, you know, think of like a Floyd Mayweather, for example. If he's boxing um, someone that's like a lower-statured fighter but still up-and-comer, whatever you want to call him. And let's say the fight's like dead even, the whole fight. But then the scorecards come out and they had like 10 rounds for to, Floyd. to Floyd. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, I guess why did we even get too <laughs> yeah. emotionally in, into this fight if it really wasn't that close to them? That's just uh, something that's always held me back from getting too interested in boxing. I love the history of it, though, but um, sounds like it was a good fight, though, Saturday. Yeah. I mean, Canelo, one of the biggest stars in the sport of boxing. So it's, it's always worth mentioning when those type of guys are fighting on the marquee. Yeah, and it, it, you know what? For them, it had to be a good feeling that they, they timed up perfectly. As the main event, scorecards were red for the UFC fight between yeah. um, Michelle, uh, excuse me, Marina Rodriguez and Michelle Watterson. Canelo was making his walk out to for the main event of the boxing fight. So, By the way, timed it up better. they had 70,000 people in attendance. At the, yeah, uh, AT&T for anybody who Stadium. To boxing's dead. I mean, come on, man. Seventy thousand know? people strong in the Dallas Cowboys Stadium. So now they have the record post-COVID for indoor facilities. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Like, if you're putting that, if you're able to get, I'm, I'm not even going to talk about like the COVID <laughs> part of this, but just in general, you're. This is for anybody in our MMA bubble. You know, it's easy for us to see how fast our sport's growing and. You know, the stars that are coming out of the UFC and go, oh, man, the UFC is bigger than boxing, is, is the biggest and whatnot. But then you see stuff like that. I mean, that'd be close to the record. I think it UFC. definitely shows that although MMA is still growing so much globally, on the global spectrum, boxing still is, like, above. It's just the history. They've had a long yeah. time to build that up. But yeah. Don't get me wrong. MMA is... Right there hey, for twenty just, uh, for twenty eight years they're coming yeah <laughs> yeah but uh yeah it was just a good weekend for fights overall we're actually going to go ahead and kind of segue, segue. That into our news for today however no news to really talk about so we're just going to talk about some other cards that happened over the course of the weekend we're going to start with the Bellator two fifty eight this happened Friday May seventh at the Mohegan Sun Arena. In Connecticut, our main event saw a new bantamweight champion 
Sergio Pettis, he climbs out of the shadow of his brother, Anthony Pettis, gets the win over Juan Archuleta, 50-45, and then 49-46. Near the two judges' scorecards. Dom, this was a really good fight, really technical bout. Yeah. Sergio Pettis, a UFC veteran who kind of, you know, was kind of a 500 guy, you know, really young when he made his debut, and now he's a champion over in Bellator. What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's so awesome to see because obviously everyone knows his brother, the Wheaties box guy, Anthony Pettis, you know, the UFC champion and all that back in the day. Now he transitions to PFL. Sergio, also once in the UFC at flyweight, uh, like Noah's uh, kind of a 500 fighter. They both leave the UFC, one in Bellator, one in PFL. Now Sergio, the one who didn't have the success as much in the UFC, is now a champion. The brother Anthony loses his debut fight in the PFL. It's odd to see the spectrums that both guys are going, but I think this is really good for Sergio because he was kind of always you know, hid under his brother's shadow, if you will. So it's very good, a coming out party for him, getting such a big, notable win over a guy like Archuleta as well. Now with gold around his waist, it's awesome for uh, Sergio, man. I, nothing but happy for that guy. Yep, and uh, probably the bigger story here. I mean, a couple other things we can talk about. Michael Venom Page, uh, adding to his highlight reel yeah. finishes uh, <laughs> with that TKO over Derek Anderson. It wasn't stopped until in between rounds by the doctor, but that head kick flattened Derek Anderson's nose. Just oh. disgusting. Um, the other pit bull, Patricky, lost to Peter Queeley via TKO, another doctor stoppage, this time at the end of the second round. Um, and then probably the biggest, the biggest, I guess, part of this card, Anthony Rumble Johnson making his long-awaited return. And you know what? This fight went... Actually, somewhat like I thought it would. <laughs> he does get the KO over Jose Augusto Acevedo a minute, 30 seconds into the second round, but had to come back from some early turmoil in the first round. Yeah. Nearly finished and then lands that just highlight real knockout punch. What do you think of Rumble's return? You know, Ev, there were so many questions just because of the, the four-year layoff. He got all the way up to 280-plus pounds, but he looked like, the same old rumble, man, and the power in that right hand. I mean, is that ever going anywhere? This man's going to be 80 years old and knocking people out with one punch. I mean, they, he just hit him with that perfectly timed right cross, put him down, and that was that. And now, all of a sudden, Anthony Johnson gets to fight for a belt in his second Bellator fight. I mean, you got to love it for this guy. Like, always a fan favorite in the UFC and continues the same way in Bellator. Yeah, I completely agree. It's it's so good for him to kind of come back in this way. But my question for you, since he did kind of deal with that early turmoil, maybe it's not fair to ask this question, but how do you think a fight with him and Yoel Romero goes now that you've seen what Anthony looked like in his return? Oh, a little what could have been question. You know? Yeah, because I mean, this fight, now to be fair, this fight could still happen. You know, Yoel, I, we don't know to what extent those eye injuries are going to hold him back. But if he does get back in there, I imagine this would be the kind of fight Bellator is going to look to put on again. My question isn't how the fight would go six months from now if they rebook it a year from now. How would it have gone Friday night, you think, if Yoel and Anthony were in the cage? I, it's like... It's still hard to answer because, yeah, we did get to see how Rumble looked, so you can kind of use that, but we still don't know how Yoel would have looked. Now, granted, we saw him more recently in the UFC fight. Uh, I wouldn't... 
I will say, I don't know if I can see Yoel getting one punch, or even TKO'd for that matter, by Rumble. I mean, can you see Yoel getting punched and just going down? <laughs> Isn't that just hard to imagine? It's really hard to but imagine. But you saw Rumble get dropped and you know hurt in that first round, and you think, okay, well, Yoel probably could have done that to him, though. So I think we would have had a barn burner of a fight, and maybe one day we still get to see it. But that's such a hard question. But it is just like, oh, you really, really want it now. Even more yeah, it, so than what we did before. It definitely makes me wonder how UL would have fared in that matchup, considering the early success that Jose had in that fight, nearly finishing Anthony Johnson. I didn't necessarily see that in him. I thought Anthony Johnson might face some adversity early on. But not that much. Maybe even later in the fight, depending on how long it went, whatever it might be. But to nearly finish Anthony Johnson, then you compare that to a guy like Yoel, who not only had more time to prepare for the fight, but is an arguably better fighter, more explosive fighter, more powerful fighter. It, it makes me it makes me wonder. Now, this would have been also, you know, there's a lot of questions still. Yoel Romero's first fight at light heavyweight, at least as far as I remember, it's been a long time that he's ever fought at light heavyweight, if ever. So... A lot of questions. Hopefully one day we get the answer to the question of kind of what could have been, what what kind of fight we would have gotten. But I know one thing, Dom. Anthony Johnson's moving on to a title fight. Yeah. Vadim Nimkov, man. And it's only two months from now. That's the mm-hmm. thing with these Grand Prix. You, your, your dates are booked. And uh, when you're a guy like Anthony who got hurt a couple of days ago and you're like, oh, I got to turn around in 60 days and fight this really good champion. It, it's tough when you think about it that way. But... Again, that right-hand power is always there, but he's going up against a stud in Nemkov, who's an incredible kickboxer. And then, of course, the other side of the Grand Prix is Corey Anderson and uh, Ryan Bader. So the semifinals are officially locked now, and both those fights are in July. I'm super excited, man. Yeah, definitely. Bellator definitely with a big win here for them. You know, this card, despite the fact that you don't get Johnson versus Romero, but really the, the card just kind of... It ends up being a really good card from top to bottom. I mean, even on the prelims, guys like Lorenz Larkin getting a win over Rafael Carvalho, Patchy Mix getting a win over Albert Morales. You know, there's you can go on and on, but overall, like this this card actually turned out to be really good for Bellator, and I think it's only going to keep improving from there. You got the women's uh, featherweight bout coming up title coming up between Chris Cyborg and Leslie Smith. Yep. Um, then, as we talked about earlier, Douglas Lima coming up against Yaroslav Amosov. Uh, there's a lot going on for Bellator right now. A lot to be excited for. Such a shame that they got to be on that damn showtime. Yeah, I'm, they're going to make me crack and buy another subscription, damn it. <laughs> that's what I was saying. <laughs> we just had to be an MMA it. podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's it for Bellator 258, but we do have another promotion to talk about, and that is the PFL. Yes, sir. Coming in, coming into week number three, and we got to see two people make their debut for this season, one making their promotional debut. Let's start with Kayla Harrison, Dom. Our neighbor. In the co-main event. Yeah, our neighbor. Women's lightweight division. She gets the TKO over Mariana Marais. Mar- a minute 23 seconds into the very first round. I mean, was there any question? I mean, let's be real. Is anyone going to touch Kayla Harrison and the PFL in the foreseeable future? 
This woman is not only a two-time gold medalist in judo at the Olympics, but now her striking is beginning to improve. So it's just now she has something to fall back on if that judo and the wrestling's never not there. <laughs> I don't ever see that being an issue for her, but if she just gets bored sometime and wants to fight somebody on the feet, she's getting better every day with that with American Top Team and I, I just think she's the she's really the face of the PFL, to be honest, and, and rightfully so. She's unbelievable, 9-0, 7 wins via finish, and she made this look easy. I mean, the person that, um, she's tied for first, but uh, Larissa Paccio is who Kayla beat to win the 2019 season. So it's like, okay, the only other person that may challenge her, Kayla's already beat. So it's just... She's really something very special for the PFL, and I'd imagine they want to hold on to her as long as they can. Uh, and lucky for them, you don't see many women's 155ers in these other uh, organizations. So she's their face for now and potentially years to come. And uh, again, I think she's untouchable. She's she's special. What do you think of the post fight? Man, I love the post fight. It kind of just... She's so confident, but not cocky, but wanted people to know, like, I am that bitch, basically, is what it is, you know, and I think there's a lot of hype around uh, Clarissa Shields right now coming into the PFL, and she was kind of just like, all right, these boxers are coming over, and I think that was some shade to some other things, but we don't talk about that on this podcast, and then um, also about YouTubers, which again, that ties into what I was just talking about, we don't talk about that on this podcast, but just saying, like, you know, this is my realm, Step into the cage with me if you think you're the best, and I'll prove you otherwise. And uh, in the mic drop, walked off set. She left that commentator. He didn't know what he was doing. That poor guy <laughs> was left on national TV like, uh, does she want to fight me? And it, it was just, yeah. I loved every bit of it. And to think that she literally grew up and did special things from a location five minutes down the road from where we grew up, a place that's a hard upbringing for a lot of people, and to make it out of there and do the things that she's doing, you, you can't not love Kayla Harrison. That's a really nice note to put at the end there because I don't think they really talk about that that much. You know, I don't know what kind of upbringing she had, but considering the area we're from, you know, it's you're not really expected to move on to great things necessarily. You know, a lot of people um, don't tend to really get out of that bubble. You know, that's that's typically what um, we were we were taught that growing up. That uh, you know, you see all these kids graduate. Uh, from high school and then within a year or two they're back in that hometown and um, that's great for some people but you know you just when when you're taught that growing up that means it's like uh it was constantly putting our heads out like that's not a great thing to to do like to come back so it's like all right go out there see the world whatever it might be but for someone like Kayla to go out there and I mean, we're talking about. The I mean, Olympics, she's done it all, PML. man. Yeah, like she's doing everything. I mean, that's awesome for her, and yeah, just awesome for someone from our kind of area to really branch out, truly branch out at the highest level. Yeah, it really is special. And your other debut that you wanted yeah. to mention, I know you're. I'll let you segue it because this is interesting <laughs> here. So our heavyweight division, our main event. Above Kayla Harrison saw Fabricio Verdum, the former UFC heavyweight champion, going up against Hennon Ferreira. Fun fact, Hennon Ferreira played Fabricio Verdum in a movie once. Oh, 
so you're pulling facts like that out now. <laughs> okay, okay, yes. I love that. Uh, very interesting, right? Man, well, that dude is a behemoth, by the way. Six seven, yeah. built like a statue. Holy moly! Yeah. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> yeah, and I'll tell you what else I didn't see coming. The man who played Fabrizio Verdum in said movie, Headed Ferreira, TKO'd. And I would even go as far to say that was pretty close to a, a KO. KO. Yeah. Of Fabrizio Verdum, two minutes, 32 seconds in the very first round. But, Dom, wait. Just wait. There's more. There's controversy. Because you think, wow, what a fight. What a comeback for Ferreira. Yeah. A guy who was nearly stopped with the triangle choke triangle choke and then he comes back with the hammer fist and everything it's like wow what a win what an underdog victory but wait the (laughs) caught in 4k they had to show the replay (laughs) they show that replay on the screen of ferreira in that triangle choke and you just see a little tap tap in in the famous words of alistair overeem i felt the tap Clearly felt the tap. Yes. And that's what Fabricio essentially felt like, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, so we have some controversy here now because this one's going to be highly disputed. No matter what the – I mean, the first question is what's the um, commission going to rule in this because uh, Fabricio has filed a yeah. motion with the commission. But even beyond that, Whatever, if they overturn it, whatever. I mean, this is a big blunder to happen so early for the PFL season. It's crazy because they brought in these two stars from the UFC, right? And Anthony Pettis and Fabrice Overdoom, they both lose their debuts. (laughs) That's literally not what the PFL wanted from a business aspect at all. Um, And then for this one to end the way it did, that's even worse. That's like just getting, you know, putting salt into the wound, making it worse. And. For Doom, I love the way he started the fight because it reminded me of the fight we saw in Cleveland where he just sprints across yep. the cage and jumps into the air. Yep. <laughs> That's what he did here. And he looked good. He really looked good early. He got that uh, triangle locked in, as we mentioned. But for Fajera, tap or no tap, to fight back still and get out of that and finish him, it was impressive. But it's so hard to get these notions overturned by the Athletic Commission. I'll be curious to see if this one will be treated any differently. See, we say that, and that's true, but this has got to be different, right? Like, it's got to be, because look at what happened. I mean, he literally tapped. I mean, he did. Well, and these play a big factor when you're in a tournament like this, too. Typically, when you see these, um, these motions filed by fighters, it's for early stoppages, you know, things that really are more of a he said, she said kind of thing. But this is like an actual ending of the fight tap, yeah, not seen by the ref, and the fight continues and he loses because of it. It's kind of crazy. Hey, now, I just want to just want to throw out there real quick for you. Hit me with something else. That uh, I just uh, go back to Hedden Ferreira <laughs> portrayed Fabricio Verdum. It was in a biopic about uh, Fernando Terrer, which I believe was a, uh, I want to say he was a Hispanic boxer. Um, Oh, no, excuse me. (laughs) Way off there. He is, uh, looks like a fan favorite in jiu-jitsu, two-time middleweight world champion, grappling wins over guys like Matt Serra, Marcelo Garcia, 
lot of good names on there, so... Man, see, I'm yeah. usually the guy that when I'm meeting new people or talking to new people, you know, trying to get in with the girls or whatever, I'm like, I'm the fun fat guy. I like bringing up random fun facts, making people laugh and all this stuff. But here you are on the podcast. I guess you're the below average Joe's fun fat guy. <laughs> uh, I, I will succeed. That's okay. Thank you. You know, I think I've earned it after this and with this or that. Hard earned, right. yes. Uh, yes. I think, uh, yeah, I paid in full. <laughs> yes, yes. Dustin Poirier, come on. <laughs> but I think that's going to wrap up our discussion about these cards that happened. Um, and I guess that kind of wraps up to this today's edition of The News. The News. Now it's time to recap some fights. This time in the UFC, however. So, Dom, we end up getting our six-fight main card, but not in the not way Not without that we some thought. sacrifices. <laughs> um, maybe we should start there. This card, man, hanging on by a thread going into fight night. We started with 13 fights stacked from top to bottom on the prelims, finished with nine total. It was, it, yeah. man. And then even, I mean, on fight night itself, we lose what looked like to be a really good opening bout on, yeah. the, on the main card between Amanda Hebas and Angela Hill. Amanda Hebas, I believe, tested positive for COVID. Because of that, fight scrapped. Um, hopefully it'll be rebooked sometime this summer. But disappointing way to kind of go in here after all the, and not even just fights being taken off. You got people missing weight left yeah. and right. I yeah. mean, it was... It was a hell of a fight week. Yeah. But uh, we finally come in here with nine fights, three prelims, six on the main card. So, you know, we got to start with our prelim notables. Yeah. And they're really making us. We, we had to work it. for this one. <laughs> yeah. We, they're, they're, I'll tell you what, this, everybody on these prelims is getting a notable because there ain't too many to choose from here. Exactly. Um, I'm going to start. With the middleweight bout, because uh, Jun Yong Park gets the majority decision win over Tafan and Chukwi. And you hear that, you say, majority decision, is that really something worth talking about as like a notable win? Um, I think it is, because... Well, when whoever, you hear the scorecards, it is. <laughs> I don't know if uh, Chris Lee snuck his way into the cage or whatever for this one, but whoever scored that 28-28 draw is crazy. <laughs> Tafan and Chukwi, big prospect in the middleweight division. Dude's built like a statue. Yeah, was undefeated coming into last undefeated, night. Undefeated, five and zero coming into this fight. And Jun Young Park, I believe, was uh, I believe he was eleven and four coming into this fight. Yeah, eleven and or twelve and four, excuse me, coming in. Um, not just you know, not as heralded. Thirty years old already. Guy was you know already lost in the promotion stuff like that. But he ends up dominating this fight from start to finish. Um, really took it to Nchukwi. Really took him into those deep waters and just kind of smothered him. Yeah. Tafan was clearly gassed by the end of the fight. And Jump Mount Park gets probably the biggest win of his career. Just wanted to give him a shout out because to dominate a prospect like that, a guy that's pretty heralded prospect with the win here, and Chukwi would have been really getting some whispers about him being a big deal at middleweight. Oh, yeah. Instead... He just kind of exposed them a little bit. Yeah. So that's got to be my prelim notable overall. Well, I'm going with the lone finish on that three-fight prelim card, and that's Carlston Harris as my prelim notable. Locked in the Anaconda choke submission, 252 into round one. Put his opponent, Christian Aguilar, to sleep, as a matter of fact. And you don't see many Anaconda chokes 
uh, in the UFC, and to see it here was very fun. Carlson Harris, a younger guy, his UFC debut, if I'm not mistaken, and to come out and make a statement like that, I mean, what else can you ask for in your debut? You were on you know, ESPN to be on TV, and uh, he gets the big finish there over a guy that had been in the UFC, fought some tough guys already. What more can you ask for? So Carlson Harris, the Anaconda choke submission, that's Dom's prelim notable, Noah. Yeah, that was a nasty, nasty submission. Too. We love when it's not just the arm bar, the rear naked choke. We like some twisters every now and again, some anacondas, all the crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah, we love a good twister every now and then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now we'll move on to the six-fight main card, starting with a bout that should, we thought was going to be on the prelims. Um, ends up getting bumped here, and I'm kind of glad it did. Middleweight boys, Phil Halls and Kyle Dawkins went at it. Phil Halls gets the unanimous decision win. 30-26 times two, and then 29-27. I thought this was a great fight. Did not go at all how I thought it would. Mm. Um, I really thought that Phil Halls would start hot early in this fight and that the longer it went, Kyle Dawkins was going to tire him out. I thought for sure, but when you look at their builds, Dawkins looks like a guy in this division that could go 25 minutes. While Phil Halls has a lot more muscle on him. He's a lot thicker of a guy. Because of that, you would assume that he would gas between the two early. But that's not at all how this fight went. Not at all. Started with Dawkins nearly finishing Phil Halls in the first round. Yeah. And then he gasses out. And Phil Halls dominates the rest of this fight. I really had a lot of fun with this one, Dom. I mean, this is two of the biggest... Um prospects in that division and to pair him up i thought it was awesome phil Hawes took this of course on short notice and they really put on a show to start off the main card Dawkus, of course is the brother of chris Dawkus in the heavyweight division now ranked 10th really making a storm both those guys came through the contender series hall's another guy from the contender series we love our contender series guys noah especially myself yeah, and when you pair him up you're sure for fireworks and that's what this fight was Phil Hawes has been in a bunch of wars already in his young career. Dawkus, hang your head up, man, because you're going to be back. And he's finished, I think, eight or nine of his ten wins on his record. So those Dawkus brothers are problems in both of their respective weight classes as well. And we can't even match make for Phil Hawes because he already has a fight booked. This man was double booked last night, and I didn't I know. Heard that. I heard that last night, and I was like, huh? Yeah, so he. I said, I'm ready to give this guy top 15. Yeah, so Phil Hall's had a fight booked already for July, and he took this one on short notice. So he still has a fight booked for July, and is against Darren Wynn. So we can't match make because he already has a fight made. So uh, we'll talk to you guys about Phil Hall's again in July. (laughs) I know, it's just, hey, good for him for, you know, taking this fight and really. You know, he's got his summer booked. Yeah. <laughs> he's got his plans all figured it, out. It, I would argue, though, that Dawkins is still, like, a bigger name, a younger prospect guy compared to Wynn. So he's, in a sense, taking a small step back, nothing too significant. But like you said, you were ready to give him top 15 if he won here. So Yeah, for sure. I mean, Kyle Dawkins, is, he was a good test. And the fact that Phil Hall's looked as good as he did uh, told me he was ready for the next logical step to be top 15. Yeah. You know, this is Phil Hall's a guy who has at times looked like a world beater, at times looked a little sloppy. You look at really the last two performances at UFC 254 against Jacob Malkoon. Looked unstoppable, knocking out Malkoon in about 18 seconds. The power in that man's hands, the ferocity he showed. And then his follow-up performance against Nasruddin Imabov, 
Where was it? Nowhere to be found. Just a slog of a fight. One that he showed no urgency in, but yeah. he does squeak out a decision win. And then here, it just... You look I, like a I different see fighter. The improvements. Yeah. I see the improvements a lot here. And Doc has brought it out of him. I'm glad. Maybe it's a good thing he fights a guy like Darren Wynn next. Darren Wynn, we know what kind of fight he's going to look to bring, and that's oh, going to yeah. be a wrestling fight. Um, that's always been Darren Wynn's MO. So because of that, it's another test for Phil Halls. Um, Darren Wynn, also a guy who doesn't have the best gas tank in the world. So it should be interesting to see how they fare against one another. And hopefully if Phil Halls, even if it's not an impressive win, if he beats Darren Wynn, we should be looking at top 15 for this guy next. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And Dawkins is still not too far from it. I mean, that's two losses for him now, but still young. Phil Halls yeah. and his other loss to Brendan Allen, Yeah, those are two very good Guys oh, Brendan Allen's a stud. I mean, look at what he just did a couple weeks ago. So, yeah. yeah. We've not seen the last of Kyle Dawkins by any means. Yeah, for sure. Moving on. Catchweight bout. Lightweight bout. But yeah, yeah. We had Gregor Gillespie going up against Carlos Diego Fajera. I just call him Diego. He did, however, come in, I guess it would have been four and a half pounds over. Yeah, 160 and a half. So, uh, Gregor, however... Gets the TKO win, four minutes fifty one seconds into the second round, and I'm just gonna. Hello, you cut out. Hold, it. Hold on, you cut out there, Noah. Oh, I did. Yeah, I'm you here. you you said I'm just gonna, and then you cut out, so that's where you left off. <laughs> okay, so I'm just gonna call it how I see it, guys. Dom called it. Yeah, I'm a genius. Dom was he was completely. That, that's why I'm a part of, uh, you know, the MMA podcast here, because I caught it, hit the nail on the head with it. No, I believe you cut out again. But you're back. I hear you back again. You went silent there. You want to talk for a minute? <laughs> because I'm, I, just, I, I'm giving you the, the rub here. So a, you these two, everybody knew coming into this fight, Gregor and Diego both are insane at their grappling skills. And Diego was just in that war with Benil Daryush earlier in the year as well. And I called for this to be the fight of the night, and it delivered. They got the official fight of the night, and it was my freaking fight of the night, too. So uh, it was a great fight. Gregor, the pace that he set forward, Noah texted in our UFC group last night and said, I got tired just watching that first round, and I agree with him completely. The pace that Gregor was wrestling at, it was un- unbelievable. Like, shout out to Diego for surviving that because Gregor looked drained at the end of that first round when he went to the stool. Then he comes out and does it all again in the second round. Just never stop grappling, never let Fajera have a break, and he eventually just he melted his will. Diego could not take it anymore, especially after having a tough weight cut, obviously missing the weight. And Gregor capitalized, man, and gets the TKO finish with, what, nine seconds left in the second round? Great bounce back win for Gregor. Again, he had that fight booked with Brad Rydell, Last month or a month and a half ago, it fell through. They never got to fight, but he gets a bigger, higher-profile matchup here with Diego Fajera, and he picks up the freaking victory anyway against a ranked guy, and now he's kind of getting that respect he deserves because I said on Friday coming into this that um, this was two of the most underrated guys in this division squared up against one another. Gregor had that brutal head kick KO loss to uh, Kevin Lee, hadn't fought since, so a year and a half removed. And he looked incredible last night against Diego Ferreira. 
That's a good one. Good assessment of the fight. I mean, really, this was 10 minutes of scrambles. <laughs> Dude, unbelievable. For anybody yeah. that, like, poops on wrestling and talks bad about it, you go watch this fight last night and tell me you don't have fun watching it. That's all I'm saying. 100%. 100%. If someone tells me they don't like wrestling, I'm going to show them this fight. Yeah. You can't tell me that the heart, the will showed in this fight is not inspiring. And that's this not to fight, say Diego had his moments in this fight, too. Yeah, I mean, round one, you could argue Diego won. Yeah. Because he stuffed pretty much all of Gregor's takedowns. If you watch that first round and the way it ended, most people are not going to think that uh, Gregor's the one that's going to be, you know, he's not the one that's projecting better than Diego. Especially when you saw him walking toward the stool, man. Yeah, and he looked gassed. Yeah. He looked like he had drained himself. And then round two, he comes out and he's doing it all over again. It was incredible. Incredible pace. The fight was awesome. Diego having his moments, but Gregor just too much, man. He made him quit. Yeah, that's what I saw. Was. A tweet. I saw a tweet that said not only did he take thirty percent of Diego's money for this fight, he also took his soul. Well, I loved what Gregor said afterward in the post fight. Outside of him being the best fisherman in the UFC, which really riled up. All of the MMA fighters last night, by the way, I must say. Even Conor McGregor yeah. got in on it. Like, yeah. who would ever thought Gregor and Conor would... But anyway, and Bryce Mitchell, of course. We and saw Habib. that come. And Habib. He, Habib fishes. And Islam Makhachev fishes. Too. <laughs> yeah. But um, Gregor goes, yeah, so you guys saw me walking back tired to my corner at the end of the round. If you think that that was me and look how bad I felt, how do you think he felt? And I was like, oh, all right. And then he showed exactly that when he got the finish, so... This man's pacing and his grapple-heavy pressure, that's a problem for anyone in a, any division. I don't care who you are. Now, as far as what's next for these two, um, I'm going to start with the winner here, Gregor. Number 14 coming in, he beats number 12, Diego Fajera. I'm just going to say it. Maybe it doesn't make sense for this guy to take this fight. I want to see Gregor Gillespie fight Islam Makachev. That would be awesome. See. I get it. Islam's probably going to be shooting for a higher-ranked opponent, but give me that all day. Well, when it that looks like nobody's taking fights with Islam, he might have to just resort to a guy like Gregor, you know? I mean, to me, that's a big fight. Two of the best grapplers in the division. And, if man, Islam's grappling might be the best in the entire division, but if Gregor can put that kind of pace on him, it'll be really interesting to see how that fight goes. Yeah, I, I think that would be a really fun fight, and uh, both guys having the same strengths, but in, they still kind of grapple differently because Islam's got that Habib-style grappling where Gregor's that that Division One All-American wrestling national champion kind of wrestling, so different styles. That could be really fun, and uh, I don't hate it at all, and I guess I just got to give an option on my end. What's Dan Hooker up to these days? <laughs> Because he's on a two-fight skid right now, and I think Gregor deserves top ten if someone is willing to give him that chance that has a single digit next to their name. Striker versus Grappler. We saw how he got head kick KO'd by another Grappler and Kevin Lee, so can he fare good with a striker as elite as Dan Hooker? And can Dan Hooker put up with the grappling and pacing and pressure of uh, Gregor? Because we've seen Hooker in these all-out wars, and he doesn't seem to get tired, but... A guy like Gillespie, that could be a good test, uh, would be one of those that we love so much where a big fight for both guys in complete opposite ways, I think you do a little striker grappler there. So I love both of our options. We're pretty good at this whole matchmaking thing. 
I'd like to think so. And now we got to do it for our loser here, Diego Ferreira. That's two in a row. You know, Benil Darius fight very close. He comes in here, has his moments, but just kind of gets outwilled by Gregor Gillespie, outgrappled even. And now you got a guy who's still, you know, he's not a, he's not a spring chicken. He's 36. He's still, you know, trailing towards the tail end of what's going to be the best of Carlos Diego Ferreira. You know, I'm this kind of spoils maybe what I'm going to say about another fighter later. <laughs> I think a fight with Donald Cerrone makes a lot of sense. Donald Cerrone wants to go back to lightweight. I know the majority of people listening probably expect both of us, but me to to say I'm not going to match make for Cowboy Cerrone. He should retire. He probably should retire, but he made it very clear last night that he's not going to retire coming off of his loss. That's not the way he wants to go out. Well, a guy like Diego Fajara is not going to necessarily uh, – his power is not going to overwhelm you. He's got not probably some one of, some of the weaker hands of the top fifteen of this division, but his jiu-jitsu is incredible. Yeah, and Cowboy Cerrone is just kind of good everywhere. I mean, Literally, he's yeah, deadly everywhere. So I think that could be a really fun fight, especially if it gets to the ground. And it's you know maybe it's a less risky fight for Cowboy. He might lose it, but at least he probably won't be knocked out. Yeah. I think it would be a fun fight. Again, you said Donald wants to fight at 155. He would still get a ranked opponent and a guy that's game in Diego who would stand and bang if he has to, but would give him a good test in the grappling realm as well. For a guy like Diego, still one of the dark horses of this division, even though he is on that two-fight skid, maybe welcome Kevin Lee back, man. I'm, I'm waiting to see when the Motown Phenom is going to make his return after he heals up from these knee surgeries and that crazy tattoo he got on his head. That That's a... That's a work of art up there. Shout out to that tattoo yeah. artist. But, uh, no, if you ever want one in your head, you got to go to that guy. But uh, I think him and Kevin Lee would be fun. Kevin Lee, known for his grappling, but has shown the improvements in the striking, got the head kick KO over Gregor Gillespie. So uh, why not keep him in, in the rankings? I was going to say Ally Aquina, but I don't really know what that guy's doing. So I think we welcome Kevin Lee back from his little layoff with uh, Diego. That would be interesting. Those are two guys who have struggled to make 155. <laughs> That's um, also true. So for all, all we know, they both come in weighing 160 pounds, and we just, just have nobody a, gets a purse for that fight. They just fight for free. <laughs> exactly. Um, but we're going to move on. I don't know if you really want to talk about this fight too much. Oh, I'm not going to have much to talk about. Don't worry. Big boys, Marcos Rogerio de Lima gets the unanimous decision over Maurice Green. 30-26 times two, and then 30-27. This fight didn't go at all how I thought it would, and that is somehow worse. <laughs> this fight was pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, I predicted Maurice Green to win via submission, but little did I know he would just be completely non-existent off of his back. And uh, really, once uh, Lima was able to recognize this, and just know that he could essentially lay there. I mean, he was semi-active with the ground and control, at least enough to not get stood up by Herb Dean. He just kind of did what he had to do to win. He would take Green down and just lay there for the five minutes and, you know, do what you got to do to win. I can't hate on it too much. But when there's a fight like this, there's only so much that you can discuss and so many takeaways you can have. Yeah, for DeLima, I think it's a good win for him against a guy who is good when it comes to submissions, 
So therefore, Maurice Green, good on the ground. But, you know, this fight was all three rounds were copy-paste. Yeah. Maurice Green looking for an overhand shot. DeLima slips, wraps him up, takes him down. Yeah, and Same what's crazy, the, the first round actually started fun. When they were on the feet, yeah. it was pretty wild. But once, as you just mentioned, Lima was able to get it to the ground in that first round, he's like, all right, let's just do this for the other two rounds as well. That's all. The, si- the size was a big thing here. Maurice Green, only 229 pounds coming in. Uh, De Lima, 262. It's a pretty big difference, especially if you're a guy who's able to get that top control. It's going to be hard to get him off of you unless you're really slick off your back. And obviously, Maurice Green, for even though he is very capable with his submissions and even good on top, it's not the case when you're back on your back. So, Especially I mean, with the weight difference, like you mentioned, too. Yeah, 40 and, pounds nearly is a lot. And, you know, it's, they, the UFC loves kind of putting these uh, unremarkable heavyweights around the third fight of the main card. Yeah, do they just put heavyweights on the main card no matter who? I, I, let's get rid of that rule, man. <laughs> but, you know? but, it, but it seems like for the most part they're not really putting on great fights. Yeah, so it seems that way sometimes. That. It's unfortunate. I get it because you want to put the heavyweights on because you're probably going to see a knockout. But most of the time, it seems like we get fights like this instead on like these fight nights, especially. I don't know if we don't need the heavyweights on the main card. We watch the prelims too. We we can give them a prelim notable slot if we want to. You know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now Neil versus Neil. I loved it. And you know what? The broadcast team had just as hard of a time calling the fight as we did breaking this thing down considering their names so <laughs> yeah. neil magny does get the unanimous decision win over jeff neil 29 28 times 2 30 27 i was you know i gotta say just off the top here that i was really disappointed in jeff neil here i really was i i fully expected this fight coming in to be neil magny looking to clinch up even though he's got the reach advantage he's got the height advantage he's got all these advantages that would make you think that he would look to keep it at range at distance but he never fights like that you know magni always wraps you up with his long limbs clenches you up does some dirty boxing on the inside and just kind of frustrates you there he, he keeps it in his clinching range and jeff neal being the hard hitter the heavy heavy puncher i really thought he would look to keep on the outside and just try to land bombs. And at times it looked at like times, that. yeah. Yeah. But then um this fight Jeff Neal for probably the first two rounds just kept getting sucked in the Neil Magny's kind of fight. And then ultimately in round three, this is where I, the, my disappointment comes in, is Neil Magny started kind of putting on the pace on Jeff Neal. Yeah, Neil Magny was putting on a clinic. Throwing a lot of output in the third round. And you saw Jeff Neal just going back to the clinch and wrapping up Neil Magny. So it was just a really really uh, disappointing fight, I guess, for Jeff Neal. For Neil Magny, though, this is a big win, big bounce back. And something that we've been calling for him to use that length and use that reach. And here we finally got to see what he can do. He can have success when he uses it. So maybe he's working on that. He's realizing that himself. Like you said, in that third round, that looked like a completely different Neil Magny that we hadn't seen before. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I, I thought all in all his his output was for the sake of output. It didn't seem like really he was going for, you know, the, the knockout punch or 
anything like that. He was clearly up, you know, I guess when you talk about total strikes and that's what it came off to me. It came off like these are point punches, nothing really coming off to try to, it didn't really feel like any of these punches were going to hurt Jeff Neal, but he was throwing a lot of them. So you can't hate him for that. He gets to win just, you know, it's, it's, just a weird fight, I guess, for me. I think for you, you I think you have probably better things to say for Neil Magny here than I do. But what do you think is next? Well, let me start see? this off by with a little Neil Magny appreciation. Because, again, he's kind of one of these underrated guys that just don't get the respect they deserve. And, again, he's faltered in his biggest moments. We've talked about that plenty of times. But now sits with 18 UFC victories. Second all-time in the welterweight division behind George St. Pierre. And no, Anil Magny, he's 33 years old. I'm, I'm, I, I didn't even realize he was that young, and the fact that he's already chasing records like that, you got to think, if he can ever put it together and get those wins where he usually falters, you never know when a run could occur. But for what could be next for him... There's an important fight coming up in this division at UFC 262. I think it's at UFC 262 anyway. Or it's in June. One or the other. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Damian Maya and Bilal Muhammad. I'm going Neil Magny fighting the winner of that bout there. I think that's a uh, good fight. I believe he's... Jeff Neal has definitely fought Bilal Muhammad. I can't remember if Neil Magny has. But Neil has lost to Damian Maya. So potential rematch there for him or a fresh matchup if Bilal can win. I think both of those guys would make sense. So I'm going Neil Magny, the winner of Muhammad and Damian Maya. Um, I'm going to go Neil Magny versus Sean Brady. Ooh, interesting, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, now Magny called for a Hamza Chimaya fight. True. Again, on the on the broadcast, so that that also could be in play here. Um, and you know what? Actually, I am going to go with that. I'm going to go with Hamzat Chimaev. That's the fight he wants. That's the fight he should get. Hamz, I, I would be interested to see if Magni can really do what he does so well against someone like Chimaev. And he's one of the guys. Tweet, you I saw don't a tweet do by, it, uh, by um, uh, I'm trying to remember the name now. The We're a big fan of him on MMA Twitter. Mac Malley? Yep. Mac Malley tweeted that, uh, and I want to see what your thoughts are on this. He said, Neil Magny <laughs> is an unremarkable fighter who has a remarkable habit of making usually remarkable fighters look unremarkable. That is a very um, good way to put his career. I'll just put that put it that way. <laughs> And it's not that, I, and I think Neil Magny is a great fighter. I just, I think that he kind of does, he does like this, what we saw from him in this fight didn't tell me that he has improved at all. And any, like it was legitimately the same way he fights every time out. It's Jeff Neal just kind of got sucked into it. And so many guys do. It's just, it's crazy. There's a, there's a Magny effect, if you will, in that octagon. Yeah. Much like how you talk about Israel Adesanya. I see it more with Neil Magny. Like, these guys just get sucked into the clinch and get slowed down that pace and stuff like that. Um, but I can't hate on him for it. And I think a matchup with Hamzat Chimaev, talk about a bit, you know, I know ranking-wise, 15, a little lower, but by far the biggest fight he can get right now. Well, in terms of name value, yeah. And if uh, he wins that, 
then I would go as far to say that that's a bigger win for him than a win over Michael Chiesa. Yeah. I think a win over Hamza Chimaev could really propel him into a very high-profile matchup, maybe yeah. even a title fight. And how many people are calling out Hamza Chimaev? I mean, let's be real. And Neil's been doing it for months. He's yeah. been wanting to fight this guy. So yeah. I love it. Finally, give it to him if he wants it, man, because Hamza needs an opponent. And if you want him to still fight a ranked guy... Ding, ding, ding. Neil Magny, he's the, the matador with the red thing, and Hamzat's the bull. I mean, g- give him that fight. I love it. Now for Jeff Neal. You did say Jeff Neal put out a statement. Still not feeling 100% yeah. after that really life scare he had back in last fall. So he's going to take some time off here. However, when he comes back, I think number 11, Lee Jingliang, is a great fight for him. That would be a banger. That would be such an exciting fight. Guaranteed not to be boring. You wouldn't think anyway. Uh, yeah, for the sake of it then, since you went with that one, I'll go ahead and do Sean Brady then. Since you brought up Brady but went with Hamza, I'll go Sean Brady here for Jeff Neal. Sean undefeated, an amazing grappler. Uh, could get a good scrappy in there with a guy like Jeff Neal, a pretty decent name, a guy that wants to stand and bang usually. Uh, so I'll go Sean Brady for Jeff Neal off of that one. Cool. Co-made event time, also at welterweight. Alex Morano on five days' notice, I think it was. Yeah. TKO's Donald Cerrone, four minutes, 40 seconds in the very first round. The biggest one of his career, but... You know, I think my takeaways here are going to lie more with the loser than the winner, if I'm being honest. Yeah, it's uh, sad. <clears throat> mostly because if you really look at uh, Murano's punches here, not the most technical punches in the world. I mean, he was really kind of... Doing the same thing over and over. He was slugging those right hands, but they were coming in like winging punches in there. And Donald was just not fast enough, not careful enough whatever it was he got caught twice in a row and that was pretty much all she wrote yeah man and it's just one of those things where in the first round donald cerrone he said it a million times he's not a good starter and he even said in his interviews this week if i'm Murano, i'm coming out and bull rushing me in the first round that's what i would do <laughs> that's what he did that is exactly what Murano did and he honestly controlled the entire round cowboy hardly got any bit of offense off because he was constantly on the bicycle trying to get away from Murano's output so shout out to him on five days notice for coming in with a gas tank like that because he was not letting up he was just pouring it on and the power was evident and uh, he got the finish over Cowboy. I mean, the biggest win of his career. Another guy that's pretty underrated in Murano. I mean, he's a pretty solid fighter. He just came off of that fight with Anthony Pettis. Had his moments, but lost. And uh, now a highlight reel finish over Cowboy Cerrone. A co-main event slot on ESPN. You couldn't ask for anything better if you're Alex Murano. Yeah, it is a big win for him. But uh, again... I think it's a win in name in name value for sure. I just I think this was more of a a state of kind of Cowboy's career here. It was more of a I guess a, it definitely shined a light on maybe where he's at and that maybe he probably he's he's at the he's at the end here. You know, let's be honest. I I did match make for him and I'm gonna stick by it, but truthfully, I mean this. This guy's got maybe a fight or two left, 
and it, he should be fighting guys that can knock him out on the feet. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I know he doesn't want to retire, but when we're talking six straight fights without a win, five of them are losses, one's a no contest. That was a draw to begin with before that, and arguably without the point deduction and all the hoopla that went on, would have been six straight losses. Granted, they're all against pretty great guys, especially those first four in the killer's row of the lightweight division. This is, when they're all getting finished by KOTKO, I, I love Cowboy, and as much as I would love to see him ride one last time, hear that Kid Rock song play again, Cowboy, over the speakers. I don't know if... Dana and the UFC is going to want to book him for another fight, if I'm being honest, because, again, Cowboy said he doesn't want to retire, and I don't doubt that. Sometimes it's not up to them, man, and I wouldn't be surprised if Dana has a one-on-one and the the UFC part ways. You'd hate to see it in that way for a guy that's been there and done that, a company man for the UFC, fights whenever, whoever. But at this point, you got to start looking out for his health, 38 years old, and all these hits that he's taken. I don't want to matchmake here. I'll be interested to see what they do, but I don't have a match for you. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I get that. I, I definitely do. I, I agree to an extent. You know, the losing streak on the surface does look pretty bad, but, you know, and this fight in particular was, you know, this is one that he should have been more competitive in because really that killer's row is, is correct. I mean, mm-hmm. even the Nico Price fight where – he, he probably lost that fight, if not for the point deduction. You know, you look before that, I thought he beat Anthony Pettis. Yeah. But obviously the judges thought otherwise. So when you look at it, maybe it's not as bad, but still it's it's not good. And then this Murano loss is definitely the worst of the bunch. And, you know, this is a Murano who just lost to Anthony Pettis a few months ago. Yeah. It's not great. And it, it didn't help that. I mean, obviously he got finished, but there was just there was no really positives you could take away from Cowboy's side in that fight last night either, which is even more of a red flag. Like he didn't get any bit of offense off, and I again that's still credit to Murano for the aggressive game plan. But still, like we've seen Cowboy come back from some major deficits before in the past, where he's down early and can come back and pour on some output himself, but. He just didn't have the answers, and maybe it was an off night. Who knows? But, yeah, man, it's it's unfortunate, a guy that everyone loves. And you just know, like, the end of the career is near, regardless if there is another fight or not. Yeah, it's unfortunate. But uh, I think that's where we're going to leave it for now. We'll move on to the main event. Thought it lived up. I thought it, I thought it succeeded hey, expectations. We told him. We told him Friday that we're not... So we're not here for sla- slander, nothing, yeah. and and it showed again. That's now two back to back main events, by the way, for Michelle Waterson and Marina Rodriguez. Don't get me started on this woman because she's a straight savage. Yep, women's flyweight division. Marina Rodriguez gets the unanimous decision win over Michelle Waterson, forty eight forty seven, and then forty nine forty six on the other two judges' scorecards. You know, this was a this was um, Marina really showing the capabilities she has on the feet. The power she has even uh she looked deadly here and then for michelle you know kind of that that, that uh i guess that heart you know she really stuck in there with her for the majority of the fight i mean she was losing the majority of these exchanges the majority of these rounds 
But even round four is the round that I gave her. Mm -hmm. And that was after three rounds of her being kind of pieced up. You know, yeah, she was hanging in there, but really being pieced up for the majority of it on the feet against a bigger woman in Marina Rodriguez. And then the fourth round, she gets her on the ground and controls her there. Yeah. It was a, a great fight. Really showed a lot for both these women. But clearly, Marina Rodriguez is uh, the better fighter on this fight. Yeah. And, uh, again, this did happen at 125 pounds, being that it came on in short notice. And I knew that wasn't going to help Michelle. Again, this was a former Atomweight champion in Invicta. But for Marina, <clears throat> she looked good at 125 pounds as well. I mean, just just keep that little part in mind for the future of her career because I still think 115 is where she's going to be an absolute beast, and that's her natural weight class anyway. But being that she's pretty big, I mean, 5'6", looked pretty full at 125 pounds. I wouldn't be surprised if she fights there again, similar to her former or last opponent, Amanda Hebos. She's also fought at 125 pounds, so it's just something to dabble with, especially when we're always looking for people to challenge Valentina because it's it's hard when Valentina's the queen of that one. But we're talking 115 pounds. We're talking straw weight. Marina Rodriguez, the Muay Thai practitioner, very precise, and has the power, man. We saw that against Hebos too, and even last night. Landed big shots. And I I just think it's interesting. I don't know if I'm going to... You know what? Screw it. I'll match make it. She called out Joanna Young-Jacek, the former strawweight champion with six title defenses, the former queen, bow down. Called out a fight with Joanna. Not a lot of people are calling out Joanna, and for that, I respect it. Marina Rodriguez, another main event against Joanna Young Jacek. Give me five rounds of that. The Muay Thai strikers pivoted against each other. I think it would be a fun fight for the fans. And uh, I just want Joanna to get back in against someone. There's so many good fights for her to have. And uh, Marina did make a statement on ESPN last night. I love that she called her out. I'm going with that, Noah. No, that's a great one to match her up with right there. Joanna been off for a while since the Wei Lee fight last year. Looking to see her get back in there. However, I'm sticking with I want to see Joanna fight Mackenzie Dern. So because of that, I'm putting Marina Rodriguez up. It puts her in an awkward spot. Truthfully. Yeah, yeah. But I think we do have a fight coming up with Yan Xiaonan, Carlos Barza. I think the uh, the loser of that fight and Marina Rodriguez, I know it would be a rematch with Carla, but that fight was so close the first time. And truthfully, if Marina really wants to be a champion of this division, I think getting over someone like Carla Esparza is kind of a must because that that was Marina's biggest deficiency in her game is on her back and her inability to kind of stop some of these takedowns against really high-level grapplers. Carla Esparza is one of the best in the division. I just think that uh, you're going to have a hard time getting to the top if you can't get past her yeah so i think the loser of that matchup um maybe even uh the female habib perhaps man if they if we ever see her return don't get me started on tatiana that's one of the best female fighters in the world and she's just off into the sunset right now ah I'm going to get emotional. If Tatiana Suarez wants to come back, I think her and Marina would be a really fun fight because talk about a test for Marina Rodriguez. Yeah, I mean, you know Tatiana's game plan coming in. Yeah. And now for Michelle Watterson. You know, Michelle, one of the bigger names of this division, 
She's going to have a lot of options. I'm calling for a rematch, another one, with Tisha Torres right behind her at number 10. A fight that happened at UFC 215, so it's been about what, five, four years now. Yeah. Because of that, I think it's a good time to run it back. They both have kind of went off in their own directions in their career. And I think now is an accurate time to kind of put them back up against each other. I like that. Um She's fought a lot of these girls, especially in the top 15 rankings, but one that she hasn't fought, shockingly enough, and I think would be an interesting striker grappler. I think her and Claudia Gadella, I think that would be a good matchup. Claudia is currently ranked number eight. She's coming off a loss to Jean Jaunan, but before that had beaten Angela Hill. Debatable, I know. Um, and then uh, Randa Marcos, but again, coming off of a loss. Now Michelle's coming off a loss, but before that had also beaten Angela Hill via split decision. I think it would be a fun grappler-striker matchup, a fresh matchup. It's crazy those two haven't fought because they're both pretty active for this, especially the top 15 rankings. So I'm going there, Michelle Watterson and Claudia Gadella next. Nice, nice. That's going to wrap it up for our preview, or (laughs) our recap (laughs) for hashtag UFC Vegas 26. Yep, that's correct. It was 26, I yes. <laughs> I had to double check. There's a lot of them. Um, as, as for the rest of this week, Friday we're coming at you with another preview. It's time for UFC 262. Finishers, as it's being yeah. hyped up as. A new lightweight champion will be crowned when Charles Oliveira, Dubronx, takes on Michael Chandler. Unless there's a and, draw. What did you say? Unless there's a draw. Okay, regardless. <laughs> I'm just going to ignore that. <laughs> Co-main event, Tony Ferguson, Benil Dariush. Don't sleep on that one, as I assume someone else will be sleeping who's a participating in that fight. <laughs> um, I see what you did there. Yeah, and a lot of other great fights on here. Jack Hermanson, Edmund Shabazian, Caitlin Jukagi, and Vivian Arruyo, Shane Burgos, Edison Barboza. All bangers. on here. You got Matt Schnell. From Cars. It's <laughs> a throwback. Yeah, go check out that episode. <laughs> Going up against Rosario Bonteron, Andrea Lee, Antonina Shevchenko. It's a great card. Oh, Man, yeah, it's top to there. bottom. Oh, my God. It's a great card. So be sure to check out our preview for it coming this Friday. But until then, Dominic, tell the good people where they can find you on social media. Find me on Twitter, on Instagram, at dcelee14. Find the podcast at... More importantly, on Twitter, on Instagram, at B-A-J underscore MMA podcast, because there may or may not, but definitely will be, but may or may not uh, be another teaser coming on Wednesday, because uh, on that day, we are one week out from episode 100, one week out from changing the game. Well said. As for me, if you go to my bio on Twitter or Instagram, at ntbaker underscore, you'll be taken to our link tree, which gives you the links to all the platforms that the podcast is on, along with the social media platforms. That includes the Twitter, the Instagram, the YouTube channel, and Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. It's all on there, baby. And there's a couple links for the Anchor page. First, leaving a voice message. If you have a thought about an upcoming fight, a news story, if you just want to say hi or call us a couple pieces of shit, you can do it there. And there's a link if you want to become a supporter of the podcast. This just provides with a few dollars a month. All that money goes back in to improving the quality of the podcast, whether it be audio equipment or 
down the line doing a video podcast. So again, you can find all this if you go to my bio on Twitter or Instagram at ntbaker underscore. But with that, we're out. We'll see y'all on.